0: It's time for episode 185 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, April 19th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, a podcast where only half the participants this week are named Dan. I am not named <laughs> Dan. I am Jason Snell. Across the internet from me, my co-host, as always, except for the last two weeks, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hi Jason, I'm well.
1: Still named Dan. Last I checked.
0: Oh, that's good. Well, we have two Dan uh, people on this podcast. You're one. By process of elimination, that means that the guest to my left, Dan Frakes, is the other from the Wire
1: Cutter. Hi Dan, how are you?
2: I'm great. I'm happy to be here for this mini MacWorld reunion.
1: Yes, it is a MacWorld reunion. <laughs> oh, nice. it, it is. It is a mini MacWorld reunion, and it's the fourth member of our panel is not named Dan because she is the amazing Sholly McFarland. Hi, Sholly. Welcome back.
3: Hello. I'm definitely not named Dan.
1: Anyway, this is Clockwise, a
0: podcast where we talk about uh, four technology topics with people named Dan or not named Dan. Uh, I I will do it first. My first topic, here it is. Facebook this week is having their little thing where they unveil a whole bunch of stuff and Mark Zuckerberg tells jokes, apparently. Uh, Among the things shown off, a bunch of ways that Facebook wants to use VR. Of course, they own Oculus. This is VR not for gaming, but for social purposes. There were some terrifying sample videos. And I'm curious, what do you all think? Is Facebook the right company to
2: lead us gloriously into the VR revolution? Dan Frakes? (laughs) <laughs> we all watched that little video a while ago and stared in horror at how terrible it looked. But I will say that, um, like right now, if I go talk to friends about VR, most of them are like, I have no idea when I would use this or how I would use this. Um, meanwhile, Facebook has like, what, how many billion users all trying to, you know, communicate with each other, keep it, stay in touch and all that. So it actually isn't a bad match. I mean, if anybody's going to popularize VR, It's not going to be the gaming geeks with their $2,000 systems that are required just to plug in a VR headset. It's going to be people can use their smartphones and do something that's kind of fun with friends. So in that
1: respect, it actually doesn't seem like
2: that crazy of an idea.
1: Um, Yeah, I I think there's something to the built-in user base being big, especially because I'm guessing that the experience that Facebook wants to put out there will be fairly low impact as terms of, like, working on lots of different devices. Even though they've, you know, worked with Oculus, I can imagine that they want to probably go beyond that. And that opens up, you know, stuff on, like, you know, smartphone-powered VR goggles and the like. Uh, and so, you know, there's a democratizing effect there, which I think is a positive Um is this the compelling experience? That I think is a bigger question because this, what they showed off, well, it looks, you know, kind of cool in terms of the shared experiences. We've seen a lot of examples of this kind of thing in a non VR environment that have not really caught on. I do remember at some point, I think it was on the Xbox 360, you could like kind of start a party and watch Netflix together with like other people. And so. It, that was kind of cool and that it was like almost like a mystery science theater 3000 sort of thing but I don't it, it disappeared as a feature and you know I'm, I can only assume it never really caught on to the point that they would have liked it to so there is nothing yet shown off here that seems super compelling it still seems a little janky and and funny and quirky, and while, you know, that might catch on, you can never really account for what people get into. Um, it doesn't strike me as the most compelling offering, but I, I guess we'll see.
3: I think VR in general is kind of gimmicky. Um, you know, we have saw Second Life when that came out, and I know some people really did love Second Life and use it. Um but I think the fact that Facebook's focusing on making it something you do with friends rather than an activity you do is kind of interesting and different. And they're certainly uniquely placed to try that approach since it's all about already having friends in your network. Um, I did like – I watched a whole bunch of videos, and I, I did like um, some of the little things they had built in, like that you could make your avatar, make expressions, uh, if you put your um, – controllers up, the avatar smiles, or you can make it make a face and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was kind of neat. But I will say that the true usefulness of it was shown to me by Ars Technica, where they just started drawing obscene doodles in their (laughs) their video. I was like, yeah, this is probably going to be the biggest use of this. (laughs) So, I don't know. I you know, maybe there are some young people who will will dig it, uh, you know, especially go to college or across the country from your friends. But I don't think that it's probably earth-shattering, and I definitely would not have paid two billion dollars of my own money to get this technology.
0: My answer is embedded in my question, which is: Is Facebook the right company to push this? And in my mind, the answer is no. Now they own Oculus, uh, and Oculus is doing interesting things, and and uh, and it may yet be the definitive or or you know groundbreaking uh, long-run uh, VR company, but it strikes me that great technology and perfect uses of a technology applied to life are what make a technology breakout. If I can phrase it that way, there's probably a better way to phrase it. Um, and what I see Facebook doing, like, I-, I think it's simultaneously dumb and smart. Like, the smart part is, hey, these guys are great, and VR is the future. We'll buy them and, and-, and-, and uh, bankroll them. That's great. But it's that second step of, like... But we are Facebook. What if we did Facebook in VR where I think it's just not going to work? That that having the big network and then applying VR to it is not how VR is going to make it. It's going to make it because it's got a perfect application and people get it for that. And then it starts to spread out from there. And gaming is, is that. So I, I feel like Facebook... I don't know. It's almost like it's trying to justify its ownership of Oculus by showing these kind of ridiculous videos of little avatars bobbing around a virtual table when it probably should just not bother and focus on. Uh, on the clearest best application for vr in the next five or ten years which is gaming so maybe in the end facebook owning oculus will make sense for them but i think it's trying to force social into a place where it probably doesn't belong anytime soon or maybe i'm just being a cranky old man i don't know (laughs) i can't tell anymore dan frakes What's your topic?
2: So uh, last fall for the holidays, Nintendo introduced the NES Classic, which was kind of a slightly sleeker version of the, the 80s console, but it had modern AV connectors and it had 30 games built in. And it was like relatively cheap. I think it was like 60 or 70 bucks. And it's been so popular since then that as recently as even last week, retailers couldn't even keep it in stock. So Nintendo discontinued it. And, um, the rumors are that they're, for this holiday season, they're going to have an NES, NES classic with the same kind of theme, you know, modern connections, 30 games or so for a reasonable price. So since most of us here, um, maybe not more in, but most of us were in the NES's classic target market. Um, did you get one? And, or will you be getting the, the S, uh, NES version this year? Um, and kind of the, to go along with that is, so what's up with Nintendo recently, which feels like it's going after every gaming market after years of, of laser
1: focus? First of all, I had a classic Nintendo. And in fact, I still have mine. So just, just throwing that back at you, Frakes, <laughs> I am in the target market. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't didn't snag one. I, I was kind of interested, but instead I, I sort of like goofed around and built a uh, emulator on my Mac Mini and bought one of the... Um, bluetooth game pads so and that kind of scratched the itch for me like i didn't really need to go back and play all the games uh that said it was a cool little device i'm kind of i find their decision to discontinue it kind of a head scratcher uh because it was insanely popular and i could understand why they i guess i could understand that they felt like maybe they were taking attention away from their current products and sort of re- like you know relying on nostalgia instead um but the fact that they're going ahead supposedly with a super nintendo version strikes me as well okay maybe i'll hold out for next year when we have got the n64 classic edition because now we're talking mario kart goldeneye yeah um So uh, I don't know. It's a weird decision, especially with the Switch, which they're also having trouble, I think, keeping in stock. Um, Shows a lot of problems potentially with their supply chain. Um, and Nintendo has had a rough time in the last few years uh, dealing with competing um, against the other major players in the game market. And so nostalgia, I think, is a, po- is a powerful force for them to harness because I think there's much more there than there is for Sony or Microsoft. Um, i guessing that device, the NES Classic, was not high margin, so they probably weren't making a ton of money on it. But if you could make it in volume, I, I guess I wonder why you wouldn't. So I don't know, maybe we're looking for some hybrid device in a couple of years that will play all these classic games from all their consoles, or maybe they'll just try to like shoehorn everybody into buying a Switch instead.
3: I did not buy an NES Classic, but uh, I did have the original 1985 uh, Nintendo console and wasted many hours playing Donkey Kong. Hmm. Uh, I, I agree. I think it's kind of weird that they don't want to sell something that people want to buy. Uh, but you can buy one on eBay right now for 225 to $300. <laughs> there are lots of them. I looked.
0: I'm the one who's out here, Dan Frakes, because I didn't buy a console between the Atari 2600 and the uh, PlayStation 1. I never played Nintendo or Super Nintendo. Um, I saw my brother-in-law play it when he was a little kid, but that was about it. So I have no... Absolutely no nostalgia for it at all. I, I think I was focused on computer games, honestly, when they became a big thing because I had a, a like an Apple II. Um, in high school. So um, so yeah, I have no nostalgia for it at all. I, I like the idea of emulators in, 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 in general. And I think what's up with Nintendo here, my gut feeling is that time spent playing games is what Nintendo is competing against. So it's sort of competing with itself. And I'm sure Nintendo would rather have you buy a Switch with a classic game emulator that you also buy that you run inside it than just play old games forever for 60 bucks so it i I get why they might not want it to be a wild success on the other hand it's old tech it's a nostalgia trip there's only so many of those that you're really going to be able to sell and they're not going to stay in use for too long i would think so i don't know um i i I imagine though that that's their thinking is really what they want to do is is the nostalgia trips to happen on their new device instead of on these little one-off devices, because that opens the gate to selling them a whole lot more stuff.
2: Part of the reason for this device is that, is to get people thinking about Nintendo again before the Switch came out, and to, uh, it, you know, the Nintendo is, is competing with, like, the Xbox and the PlayStation, which are much more capable and much more modern, if you will, um, gaming platforms, closer to, like, PCs, whereas the Nintendo also, has always had its own niche. I feel like it was kind of, hey, look at us, it's Nintendo, we're still here, but hey, play this for a while until we're ready for the next one. But uh, I've also heard rumors that they really didn't expect this much demand and so they've actually just sold out of stock and they didn't want to make any more because they've got new ones coming out next year. But yeah, um, but yeah, it, it does feel like a, like a marketing thing, which is, which is fine. But it just feels like, you know, Nintendo was so laser-focused for years on here's our consoles, here's our games, and that's it. And now they're doing mobile and now they're doing classic, like, you know, emulated things on their own consoles and now they're doing... These hardware things. So, um, I mean, it's good to see them branching out from a gamer's perspective, but it feels like a little bit all over the place. Um, by the way, Dan, that was meant as a compliment that you weren't in the
0: target
1: market. So <laughs>
2: not as young as I used to be, Frank.
0: <laughs> and I'm revealed to be old and out of touch once again. Let's see if that happens in the next two topics, too. Uh, but first, let me tell you about our sponsor. Uh, this week, Clockwise brought to you by Linode, fast, powerful hosting for your projects. You can set it up in just seconds. They have easy to understand tools that let you choose your resources and your Linux distro. You can get the power and flexibility that you need and plans start at just $5 a month for a Linux server with one gig of RAM in the Linode cloud. Linode servers offer industry-leading performance with native SSD storage, Intel E5 processors, and access to a 40 gigabit network. There are nine different de- data centers. They are spread all across the world. You pick. You get to choose where you want to serve your customers quickly. They have an API that lets you easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. It's super simple for scaling. You can resize your servers with a couple of clicks. It's all manageable by a command line. You just SSH into your, your Linode server. I do that. All of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing. There's a monthly cap on all plans. There won't be any ugly surprises, uh, including add-on services like backups and node balancers. You'll know what you're going to pay. And that's like, I know exactly what my bill from Linode's going to be every month. And it's super reasonable because my entire Digital life is up in Linode professionally. That is where I keep it all in my Linode server. There's some great new pricing options. You know, back in the day, it was really expensive to have your own dedicated server on the internet, and it's just not true. You can get a server with one gig of RAM for $5 a month, all the way up to 16 gigs of RAM for just $60 a month. The, the amazing two gig plan now inc- includes 30 gigs of storage, and it's $10 a month. $10 a month for a, ser- a server on the internet with 30 gigs of storage and two gigs of RAM. It's amazing. Uh, more and more awesome options are coming all the time. They're across the board, offering twice the amount of RAM you'll get elsewhere. And a listener to Clockwise, go to Lino.com slash clockwise, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash clockwise, and you will support us but also get $20 toward any Linode plan. There's a seven-day money-back guarantee, nothing to lose. Give it a try, linode.com slash clockwise, or just use the promo code clockwise2017 when you check out. Thank you, Linode,
1: for supporting clockwise. All right, that's halftime. Dan, it's your turn. My turn, you say. Good, the right Dan goes now. hmm Uh, One of the rumors this week is that in the construction of the iPhone coming this fall, um, the Touch ID sensor will be moved to the back of the phone because Apple can't figure out a way to make it work with this new supposedly edge-to-edge screen they're reportedly designing. Did I put enough qualifiers in there? Um, So my question for you guys is, would that really be so bad? And sort of as a follow-up, there's also the suggestion that maybe they would move to other forms of authentication, uh, such as facial or iris, eye scanning, retinal scanning, what have you, uh what are your general thoughts on that? Would that be bad? Would that be good? Does it seem unattractive to you? I don't know what do you think, Shelly?
3: I would say that having touch ID as part of the home button is kind of problematic. I don't know about you guys, but i um I accidentally trigger other things all the time when I'm trying to log into my phone uh you know I'll trigger Siri or the worst is I'll trig- trigger the accessibility feature Zoom, which, if you didn't know, mm. uh, it activates with a triple click of the home button. You can turn that off, and I eventually figured out how to do that. But it's really frustrating for me that I can't just get in, and often it's faster for me to do my uh, just do my passcode. So from that point of view, I think moving it somewhere else could be great. It's kind of hard for me to imagine it being on the back of the phone or... We'd all have to get new cases, that's for sure. Or how, you know, where could they put it where you wouldn't accidentally trigger it? Uh, but I think I, I think that it's not a bad idea. Um, certainly, there are other phones that use other ways, other types of security. Uh, let's see. Some of the Windows 10 mobile devices use iris scanning. And, uh, so that's a possibility. And it looks like, I'm not sure if there's any phones that use the facial scanning, but there certainly are Windows computers that do. Uh, although that has been, that has been hacked. Uh, there was at least one big thing last year that Wired reported about, uh, with hackers using Photos from Facebook, look, we've looped back to another topic, uh, to trick um, facial recognition. So I don't know if that's the best one, but certainly the iris uh, scanning for biometric login sounds cool. But in general, I would say yes, I am, I am for trying it in a different place because I think the home button does too many things now.
0: I um, I wrote a, a really brief thing on Six Colors this week about how on the Nexus 5X phone that I have, my Android reference phone, uh, the fa- fingerprint uh, scanner is on the back, and how... I think it's actually pretty good. Like I pick up my phone and the finger goes my finger goes right there or I you know, it's in sort of the arc of how I ha- handle the phone. I can touch it, it unlocks. It's just kind of natural. And I got a kind of uh, a bunch of comments on Twitter from people who are like, "No," and they're giving me all these reasons that largely boil down to Apple hasn't done it and therefore it's not Apple-like. Uh, and and uh, or the one I really like is, "But what about cases?" Uh, and it's like, "Well, I'm not sure Apple <laughs> yes. is going to Get some new uh, cases. not do not do a feature because of cases, and yes, exactly, there would be new cases. And if you look at Nexus Five X cases, they've just got a little uh, a little spot where the fingerprint thing is, just like you've got a little cutout for the camera. It's fine. And if and, and, and Touch ID, I think, is so important to Apple's entire uh, ecosystem at this point that I have a hard time imagining them not putting it on the phone. So if they relocate it to someplace else that's ergonomically accept- acceptable, I do understand that some for some people the the current location is perfect and that uh, moving it to the back will be less perfect. But I would imagine there's also people for whom the back is way better than the front. So I think it's fine if they if they need to do that. In fact, it might it might lead to some positive changes, as Sholly suggested. Um, in terms of other things, if they can get other things to be reliable, that's fine. I, I don't love the idea of having to kind of like bog my eyes out and like have float my eye over a certain part of my phone in order to get it to unlock. That's not my favorite thing in the world, but I'm open to it if there's some other way to do it. But, you know, quick fingerprint touch is is uh, pretty great. So I, if they need to move the sensor, so be it.
2: Yeah, I've I've not used a phone regularly that has it in the back, but I've picked one up and it felt fine to me. And my um, Android uh, colleagues at Wirecutter all say that on the phones they've used regularly with it, they actually like it. They say it's convenient. You just pick up the phone and your finger's usually like right where it needs to be. Their biggest complaints are when phones just put it in the wrong place on the back. So it's a matter of just making sure that they put it in a place that's easy to use. Um And one actually pointed out that his wife likes it because on the uh, iPhone 7 Plus, which is pretty big... When you put your thumb over the bottom, it's like you're basically like pull it, holding up this huge lever because the phone is so big that putting your thumb on the very bottom front is actually not super comfortable. So there's, I think there's a lot to be said for having it on the back. Plus, it frees up more of this more space on the front for the screen. Um, so I'm all for trying that out. Uh, as for the other things, you know, face scanning, as other people have mentioned, hasn't really worked out well at the consumer level. But I don't know, even if it worked. To me, I like the discreet and convenient thing where I just put my finger on the phone, whether it's under the table or, you know, in my pocket or kind of like out of out of sight when I'm trying to check something rather than having to bring my whole phone up and put it right in front of my face in a crowd of people um, so it can look at my face or my iris. That to me just doesn't seem um, like the way I think I would want to be doing every day, a hundred times a day.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And it, it opens up other problems too. I mean, Not to say that you should use your phone while driving, of course, but if you just price your finger on a phone while you're driving, as opposed to having to like look at your phone or move your gaze to your phone, like using your, you know, so it can scan your eyes, I feel like that's super problematic. Like Dan says, if anything where you don't want it in line of sight necessarily, Uh, I think Apple probably weighed the risks and. Um, the advantages of different forms of biometric authentication and came to the conclusion that fingerprints, while not 100% secure all the time, are probably the best trade-off. And so I think Touch ID is certainly around today. As far as it moving to the back, I agree with Shally that the home button is already kind of overloaded. Um, and so having that uh, as an option on the back, I don't think will hugely change anything, frankly. Um, so I, I'm kind of, I'd be fine with it. I, I'd certainly give it a shot. Um, I, I don't think it's that big a deal. I think overall, the the benefits of Touch ID vastly outweigh the downsides. And so keeping the scanner, no matter where you put it, I think is going to be an, a a solid decision. So thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go on to our last topic, which comes from Shali.
3: I'm writing a book right now for the Take Control series about Apple's reminders and calendar. And I wanted to ask you guys... Do you use reminders? If not, why not? And if so, what is your favorite way to use it? I
0: do use reminders. It's part of my organizational system. In fact, I think you can, the most recent episode of Free Agents on this very podcast network, I talk about my, such as it is, organizational system a little bit. It works for me. And one of the things that I, do, I use is reminders. I use it for very specific things. I don't use it to keep track of all the things I need to do in my life, but I do have a few lists that I, I keep in it. Um, most specifically, it's my story idea list. This is where I put, if I have a thought for a story idea for Six Colors or my Macworld, World column, or um, honestly, for like a novel I might write someday, um, they all go in reminders. I've got a couple different lists there, and that's when I am sitting at my desk thinking, "What's my Mac World column going to be this week?" or "What piece should I write for Six Colors today?" I will look at that list and I've got there's like 30 things on there now most of which are old and I'm probably never going to write but down at the bottom there are a bunch of good ones that are that are sort of things that just pass through my mind at a moment where I was I don't know walking the dog or something and I'll just get on my phone and I'll write it down or even when I'm at my desk and those sink and they go everywhere and so that's that's my primary use of reminders I do have a packing list sort of thing where before I go on a trip every time I think like right I need to remember to bring that I put that in a list called before I go and I check those off before I leave to make sure that I got them all. Um, So it's a few things like that, um, but not everything, just, uh, just that specific thing. But especially professionally, the
2: story list is the most important one to me. I was laughing at your travel thing, Jason, because I do the exact same thing. I always have a before I leave thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I rarely use reminders itself, mainly because I use other apps for my task tracking and reminders. Um, I've been using cultured codes things for years to track most tasks and reminders. Um, it's just got a fantastic interface. The syncing is instant and flawless. Uh, and, I, and my family uses Wonderlist for shared shopping lists. Uh, I do sometimes use reminders as a way to add things to things. That's a add things to things, um, <laughs> bad name. Things syncs its inbox with your default reminders list. So you, so that means I can use Siri to create a reminder or a task while I'm on the go, and it'll then get synced to things uh, through reminders. Uh, I used to occasionally use reminders for geofence things where, you know, remind me when I get, you know, when I get 500 yards from home to check to see if I did this. But uh, I don't know, the geofencing has been so unreliable that I stopped using it for that.
1: Uh, I also use reminders. I find it very convenient. It keeps my sort of general to-do list as well as my shopping list, my works list, which is like a separate list. I have a before I leave list and a packing list. Uh, And then occasionally I have shared lists too. My girlfriend and I have a shared list. Actually, I realize our shared list is actually mainly just full of emoji reminders that we send each (laughs) other because we're sickeningly cute sometimes um so yeah i i actually use it a lot it's great for being able to create stuff with um, siri i use my my apple watch a lot to create reminders using siri the one thing that i'm frustrated with is i really wish that the integration with the amazon echo was a little bit better there is there are sort of like workarounds with uh, if this then that that let you sort of supposedly coffee stuff over but i find it extremely unreliable and how well it does that Um, So I wish I could do that a little more because sometimes I just think of stuff and I've got like, oh, I could just say this to the Echo and it would get moved over. Um, But yeah, Reminders is not like, it's not a super heavy to-do list type thing, but I appreciate that it's fairly lightweight. My one complaint about it is that it stores all your completed items. I wish there were a way, because like I look at my shopping list and if I scroll to the top, it says 1161 completed items. Mm. It's like, I don't need to remember what I you know bought like two years ago on my shopping list. It should just automatically expire them after a while or give you an option to do that. So Other than that, though, I'm a pretty big fan of Reminders.
3: Cool. Yeah, you know, I started using Reminder, I think it was Lex, who did a tip about how to use your phone and Siri to just say, remind me to pick up coffee beans, and I thought that was amazing, and for quite a while, I only used Reminders that way, just with my phone and just with Siri, uh, and didn't really even know which app it was, (laughs) because I never looked at it otherwise. Um, and and to this day, actually, that continues to be my biggest use, using Siri to tell myself to remember something wherever I am and um, to set an alarm that way, too. I rarely go in the program and muck about, although... Now I've mucked about and I, it is it's interesting all the stuff that you can do uh, with it.
0: All right, well, that is four topics down. We just have enough time for our bonus topic. It's a quick one based on what we were talking about earlier about Nintendo. What's the video game from your past that you would most like to revisit in whatever form? Dan Frakes?
2: Uh, when I worked in IT, Uh, the fellows that my, my staff, our staff would, uh, often play network games of marathon after hours. And, uh, if you never heard of it, it was a fantastic, uh, first person shooter from the people who went on to, to make halo, but it had an online multiplayer mode for like eight people. And I think it was probably the best multiplayer around at the time. Uh, you can actually download them for free, all three versions of marathon for free and run them on modern Macs. There's like an open source game engine that works with it, but, uh, I haven't tried it in years. I should, I should do go do that.
1: If Lucasfilm does not remake the X-Wing and TIE Fighter games, I will be very angry. What the heck is wrong with you? Why is it taking so long?
3: I I was thinking about this and I was thinking back, I think it was 96 or something like that. I did a review for, I think, Mac user of Phantasmagoria. I don't know if any of you guys played that, but it was a... um, a game about a writer who moves into a mansion and finds herself terrorized by supernatural forces. And it was so fun. I played it with my husband for weeks and I was think- we were talking about it just the other day. So if I could get an old game back, that would be the one.
0: For me, my choices would probably be Load Runner, which I was talking about with people on the internet just today. A fun uh, game on the Apple II that has been remade a few times in a few different ways, but the classic version on the Apple II, I think, is the one that I want. It even had a level editor built in. And on the arcade side, Crystal Castles, which I really loved, which is a 3D Thing with a trackball and you just can't track ball. you just can't play it on, in emulation even because you can't really emulate that trackball well. Um, even if you have a trackball, you can't really emulate the, that arcade trackball as well as you should. So, well, that brings us to the end. All that's left to do is for us to thank our two wonderful guests, only half of whom are named Dan. Dan Frakes, thank you for being here.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: And Charlie
1: McFarland. thank you for being here.
3: Glad to be here.
1: And Dan, thank you for being a Dan. It's uh, <laughs> Thank you for almost making it for being two-thirds of the way to a dan jason (laughs) and you're in florida so you're
0: you're most the way to being one of the golden girls congratulations (laughs) i'm a floridan oh
1: Oh. okay that was terrible we have to go
0: we remind everybody out there we'll be back next week but until then watch what you say and keep watching the clock bye everybody goodbye Laura Dan. Yeah. <laughs>